as we transition today. I would just ask that the God of peace would be over this house. I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon everyone. And Father, I pray that the words that are spoken in the next few moments would go into the heart and bring about the change that you wish to bring about. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. In waking up early this morning, felt like God was just whispering to me and God was saying protect the God dream something that he's been saying for the past few weeks to me protect the God dream tell the church protect the God dream take those things in your heart that he has spoken be protective of those things Dina thanked everyone who helped at VBS There's nothing more beautiful than to see kids coming in and worshiping God. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing people giving of their time to bless children. I will say with all clarity in my heart that whenever I talk to people in the church and they say they have a heart for evangelism and yet they never help with VBS, that I wonder. And I don't say that in a knocking way. I say that the, the greatest things... You know, you think of all the babies. I'm looking at you, Kim. You think of all the babies that you have taught Jesus through the years. Young men and women now. You think of all of them that you put foundation down. That it may look like we're just making snacks and crafts at times, but they're getting the word in their heart. I'm thankful for everyone who gave of their time in the setup, in the cleanup, in the execution of VBS, that was no small feat. I appreciate you. I wanted to put something on your radar before I spoke, and it is that next week I want to take up an offering for Friends of Recovery. We had Dennis come here last month. It was very clear in the fact that I wanted you to be praying about what God would have you do. This recovery home isn't just something that we look to help people that we want to partner with, that we want to bless in the things that God is doing in this area. I would ask this week that you would pray about what God would have you give. We will have a time for offering next week, and when we do, I want to pray blessing over that. There's a number that came to my mind after something that I read. Put that number up on the screen for me if you could. You're thinking this is about offering? No. It's about something that I read about. It's about United Flight 232, DC-10. It was a flight that happened in 1989. There were 298 passengers aboard. There was a captain of 35 years, Captain Al Haynes. It was a normal, routine flight. Until the plane reached 37,000 feet, everything looked normal until one hour and seven minutes into the flight. At one hour and seven minutes into the flight, something happens, and boom, 
The lights go on. There's been an engine failure. The lights go on. We've lost hydraulics. But because of the design of this plane, it is a three-engine plane. And so the two other engines could act independently if there was a system failure. There was only one weak spot on the entire plane. It was a four-foot section near the tail. The odds of something going wrong over that four-foot section of tail are 10 to the 23rd power or a billion to one of something happening. But at 3.09, something happened. And when something happened, there was an explosion in an engine that damaged that four-foot square part of the plane. And when that four-foot square part was damaged, the entire hydraulics to the plane went out. And so as this pilot, this veteran pilot radios in, and he is doing his best to control the plane, which at this point, without hydraulics, you do not have rudder. You don't have any of the things that you would normally use, steering it into the wind, trying to use thrust to determine what they were going to do, thinking that if this plane does reach the ground, I don't know if I can even land this plane. They found a small airport in Sioux City, Iowa. The aircraft, which by this time was really messed up, miraculously was able to be guided toward that airport. At the point when it touched down, it didn't touch down conventionally, but it touched down in a way that it almost began to roll. Out of all the people that were on board, lives were lost. 111 people lost their lives. But miraculously, 187 were saved. When the NTSB comes in, as they do, to check out what went wrong, they look at every little piece. And what happens is they start looking at the paper trails. They start looking at every part on that plane to see where the weakness may be. They go back to a place where they found the titanium which was used to make the fan blade which was in that aircraft which blew apart and which cut the hydraulic lines. All the way back to the ingot of titanium that was made. They found that when parts are forged for an aircraft made out of titanium, that they are placed under unimaginable pressures for them to escape failure. 50,000 tons of pressure is exerted on these parts in order to push out any of the air bubbles which may be trapped inside of the metal. The report found, though, that this process was not carried out exactly as it should have been, and there were tiny air bubbles, and the airplane in question, with the part in question, had taken off and landed 15,503 times before there was an issue. But on the 15,504th time, this part, which had gone unnoticed, became exhibit number one, a deadly defect. It points us to this fact that flaws in the formative stages, even small ones, could lead to disaster. And so as I began to read about the story of Joseph, I knew my line. Oh, I had my line. I was ready just to to go with it. I'd studied. I knew what I wanted out of this. But I felt like God checked me and God said, sometimes your heart can confuse the physical and the spiritual. I want to read Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4, because we need to break this down. It says in verse 1, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. 
Verse 2 says, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Verse 3 says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. Verse 4 But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. In that moment, I felt like the image that God put before my eyes was that of a playbook, that of a chalk of of plays, that of this idea of saying that God has a playbook and the world has a playbook. Which one are you going to run the plays? Which one are you going to pick to run the plays? Because if I'm on God's team, I have no business running the enemy's plays. If I say I'm with God, I don't even need to be looking at what he's doing. And God asking me, do you see things my way or are you seeing things in a worldly way? Oh, that coat. From a young age, I learned about that coat. In fact, I learned about that coat so much as a child that I really didn't want too colorful of a coat for winter when my mom bought them because I was afraid what may happen to me after hearing this story. I've heard this story preached so many times in so many different ways, broken down in so many ways, read studies about it, done word studies. But there is a worldly way of hearing those verses that I just read. The worldly way often skips over that first part that talks about the setting. It talks about in verse 1 where Joseph found himself. Jacob dwelt in a land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. It is vital for us as Christians to pay attention to the setting. Because see, if you don't pay attention to the setting, you're not paying attention to the lead up. You're not paying attention to the way that God is setting the story up. And we start to cultivate a faith that looks at a hand of blessing rather than the face of God. We start looking at something that how's God going to get me out of this or reward me and not what is God doing in the midst of it. Because testimony is built in the midst of trial. That's where it is built Seeing it from a God angle, now Jacob dwelt in a land where his father was a stranger. If there was ever a statement which described the church of God at this point, it's that statement. We're in a land like, I don't know what to make of it sometimes. I don't know what to make of it. A sojourner, do you know what a sojourner is by definition? It's a long-term, barely tolerated visitor. Honestly, I don't ever want to move from that place when it comes to my relationship with the world. I don't want to get to the place where the world loves me because I do what they want me to do. I want to be in a place where there's always that tension because I'm trying to be God's man in a situation and the world's not liking that. It says in 1 Chronicles 29, 15, for we are aliens and temporary residents. In John 15, 18 through 19, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world... Now here, I'm not getting up here to do ancient aliens to be like aliens. What I am saying to you is the fact that I want to feel like E.T. walking into a room when I walk in with the world. That's how I want to feel. Everybody looking at me like, what's up? I always want to be doing what God wants me to do. The Bible says they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. 
the next thing it says is this is the history of Jacob. It's really weird because it seems like the first two verses of chapter 37 could really be the ending of chapter 36, but God, in his almighty way, placed them where he placed them, and I love the fact this is the history of Jacob. That statement in itself, given what we're talking about going on in the church, would preach. It's time for us to be able to say that's history. It's time for us to be able to look at something and say, you know what? That's history, this is God present, and that's God future. So whatever it may be that you're struggling with, whatever the devil is holding over your head to be able to say, you know what, devil, I kind of hear what you're talking about, but that's history. Now I am in the place where God wants me to be. When some sermons kick in, it's wild because they start looking at this passage and they start talking about the dysfunction that's going on in this family. They'll usually refer to the fact that Jacob, when he was a younger man, teamed up with his mother, Rebecca, to fool his father into giving him his brother's birthright. That this is a family that has this dysfunction going on in it. It goes on farther to say that, you know, there's favoritism even going on with Joseph. Now, I am not a child psychologist, but I understand that it is unhealthy to show favoritism toward children. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Some people will turn this and they'll say, you know what, that just shows right there. You know, Jacob, Jacob, he was getting off course right here. He was making it about him, the son of his old age, that if he wouldn't have made it about him, then it wouldn't have gone to the places it would have gone fair point when they say that, right? But then I feel like God's saying, see it my way. See it my way. Joseph's painted often as this conceited brat, this rat, stooly, snitch, like he's hated for a reason. We live in a time where people don't want to be a snitch. They don't want to be a rat. I'll ask my son, have your friends eaten? Well, I don't want to say I'm not a snitch. Like, okay, Michael Corleone, I hear you, I hear you. Um, But no one wants to do that. And it's wild that the world will throw accusation. Up here today, just praying, praying with people. The world is going to throw accusation. The enemy is going to throw accusation. But the question is, has it stuck? Has it stuck? Has the enemy's accusation been thrown at you so many times that now you begin to identify by what he's called you? If it has, it's time to see it the God way. Last week, a point was made, and it was made pretty quickly. And I don't think that we really got the gravity of the situation, but that's God tips his hand. God will tip his hand. We tend to think that the miracle happens in a vacuum, but the reason I said the lead-up was so important and so important for us to stand in God's way is because God is present in the lead-up. He is tipping his hand to both us and the enemy that he is doing what he is doing. The lead-up, always part of the plan. When I was young and I learned about the story of Jericho, here's how the story didn't go. The teacher didn't open up and say, yeah, and boom, the walls fell flat. There was always this lead-up which was involved. There was always this acknowledgement that the enemy was pretty strong. There was this acknowledgement that the walls were kind of intimidating. There was an acknowledgement that the way that these people went to war was not the way they had ever fought before. But the story always ended with the walls going flat. 
I say that to encourage you because you may feel like you are walking in the shadow of things that you don't understand. You're walking around something that you've walked around how many times before and it hasn't changed. But God is still God. He is still on the throne. He is still present. Pay attention to the lead up because when you tell the testimony later, people are going to want to hear the lead up. See it from the God angle. All this dysfunction that was talked about, the world would paint it this way. They would say, you are flawed. At some point, the flaws that are within you will lead to disaster, not just for you, but for those that are around you. You cannot change your destiny. The devil will try to remind you that you come from flawed people. You come from flawed people before you and flawed people before them. Their actions, attitudes, and outcomes have been passed down to you. They may have acted out out of emotion sometimes and the wrong emotion while they were raising children. And those children grew to act out in the same ways, the devil would say. But it doesn't end there. One of the most common dynamics in dysfunction is that you will see the next generation take it on even stronger. The very things that they hated, they will take on stronger. And it's weird because...